Welcome to the show. We hope you have a blast. Thanks for making time for the Dealer Talk Podcast. Another business leader, here's a penny for your thoughts. This ain't a regular conversation, baby. This that Dealer Talk. Yeah, this that Dealer Talk. What up? Welcome to another episode of the Dealer Talk Podcast. This is your host, Herb Anderson. Thank you so much for tuning in. Got another great episode lined up for today. Let's check in with my co-host, Charity Ann. What's up, Charity? What is up? How you doing? Happy podcast day. Happy podcast day. <laughs> right on. So this is episode two. We had a great mm-hmm. conversation with our friends, Paul and Kyle, for the first episode of season seven. And um, really excited to be here again. What's going on in your world? How are things? Things are going well. I did my homework checked the news the automotive news this week again so i have a little bit of an interesting one for you today cool let's talk about it in a minute um we do have a great guest we're going to be talking to um who knows where this conversation is going to go but i'm very very excited and um how about we kick it off with uh with some automotive news what's going on in the world of automotive Okay, so I had three things. Um, did you, I told you this one already, but between last month and this month, the average price of a vehicle went up significantly. Do you remember how much? It was like, I don't know, 800 bucks, something like that? $895 on average per vehicle. Um, between that was between July of 2021 and July of 2022. Um, the average price has gone up 12.7%. Yeah, but I mean, that's to be expected, right? Demand and supply 101. I mean, no, not, not, a, not a shocker there. I don't know. Are we in inflation? I don't think we are. I think we're more in stagnant. We're like dipping our toes into <laughs> well, scary. I mean, the. The thing that throws that whole metric off is employment. Like employment is solid, right? So mm-hmm. um, I think the, I mean, I know the statistic is like, what, two years of, or two quarters of reverse GDP or something like that. So um, I've been reading a lot about that. And this might just be like political rhetoric, the government trying to talk everybody out of it. But there's a lot of things out there right now that say that that's the, that's the layman's way of looking at it. But when it right. comes to like economics, it's way more complicated than that. Yeah, no, for sure. But, you know, like if, I, if employment is, is strong. Right. Then- the employment is strong being one of them. The other another one of the metrics that they look at is repossessions. And that has been going up as well. Not surprised about that either. <laughs> well, you got to make that mortgage payment. All of a sudden, that, <laughs> that car note is like, hmm, I don't know. It's questionable. I don't know. There was, um, I remember somebody saying once, this is not a guide for life. That's my caveat to this one. If you have to choose between your mortgage and your car payment, pay your car payment because you can live in your car. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> there's that yeah. one to look at. But. but that goes into my next one was they just really wait before you move on i want to i want to get your take on this because i don't i don't agree with inflation i think it's more stagflation when you think about it because and here's why um we're still making money right the money's still there i just think that things are in excess of the income see but you're getting into like that is not my strong suit well i'm gonna go I don't think our salaries have kind of, well, you can have an opinion, right? I don't think our <laughs> salaries have kind of caught up to, to the inflation, you know? So I guess I just answered my own question, but um, it's more. It's no, more I do not think that our salaries are caught up at all. I definitely feel like there's a tightening of, um, a tightening of my belt for sure. So I don't know. We'll see time times. These are interesting times for sure. We've been through cash for clunker days. So this should be yeah. a piece of cake. It should be a walk in the park. 
And those days were rough, dude. I remember it was like rough. Like the dealership was bare bones. Everybody was leaving. You have maybe one salesperson there. You'd go days in some Without store. And be like, yeah. Nothing. So, um, I was just going to tell you right now, we're about to have a visitor in my bedroom. I tried to convince her to not come in with dog food, but she's at the door. So if she barks, sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. But next, listen, so, rules. I know what am I supposed to do with her? I'm just going to have to put a bow on her and invite her to join us all the time. Market adjustments. There's some new statistics out there that just came out talking about the dissatisfaction of customers and they're not good. Well, yeah, of course. Who's going to be, yeah, I'm happy. I'm paying $5,000 over. No. So it says that 80% of buyers have paid MSRP or over MSRP for their vehicles, which I kind of feel like, why did they add MSRP into that? Like, I think that that probably throws everything off a little bit. Because but, no, you know why they put it in there is because customers aren't used to. This is one mm -hmm. of the only industries where customers are like, you know, know what the cost of the product is. And then they want to um, negotiate right. down to the cost. It's ridiculous. Well, and I mean, statistics are the statistics are written for the motivation of whatever the person oh, writing the man. statistic. The, the <laughs> fact that that's even in there, I think, right. goes to show two things about this industry. Number one, we're super transparent. I mean, come on, like, really? You have to know how much it costs me. Like, who? Like, what? Who does that? You know, you don't no. go to the grocery store and you're like, hey, how much did it cost you for that banana that you're selling me for three bucks? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the other thing it says is exactly what I just mentioned. Like they're the consumer is so used to negotiating that if they pay MSRP, it's like, oh, my God, I paid all this money for the, for this car. Right. But this is like the 80 percent. This is my baseline for my next one, which is that. Um, 27% of those people say they will never buy from that same brand again. And 23% of them said that, that they won't take their vehicle to service at that dealership. I said it. It's in season six. Go check it out. <laughs> like, dude. I Yeah. And then 31% of them said that they would tell their friends not to buy from that dealer. If you don't think, first of all, we'll cite this because I want to make sure that it's, it's you know, that's credible. Where did you get this from? The the Cox Automotive, and then it was the rabbit hole from there. Like, first of all, Cox Automotive is like where everything comes from. If you're looking for statistics, anytime that you send me on a find a statistic, it always goes back to Cox Automotive. Like, <laughs> I gotta say that's one of the that was definitely one of the advantages for me working there. Like I learned a bunch. So yeah, but we we can put it in the notes, the link in the notes too. Yeah, make sure let's make sure to cite that because I want to make sure yeah. that there's credibility to those numbers or the, those stats. But um, man, I and you know what, and I'll say it again, like in the future, not so not too distant, maybe a year, two years from now. From a marketing standpoint, that's going to be gold because you can go out. And, you, you did it right as a dealership. You probably had market adjustment or something to the effect. Oh yeah. But you can you can go out into the market and be like, hey, did you get? Were you overcharged for your car or are you underwater because of? Right. You know, because come of here some... and we'll 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 save you. And they the, here's the beauty: they'll go there and they'll maybe shave off a thousand dollars or whatever off their deal, and it'll be better then you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Like they'll look like heroes. Right. Like, it's just going to be for those who take advantage of it. It's going to be, if you want some ideas, hook, you know, give me a call. Okay. But, but I have another one. I'm switching the subject on you again. Cause I'm trying to put it all in before Let's our go. guest arrives. Okay. Ready. So the other day, one of <laughs> This is going to make him happy. Shout out to Chris was 
said to me, why do you think that some companies are highly focused on EVs and some are highly focused on hybrids? So that took me down a very interesting research path. Um, the answer being infrastructure, right? So there's just not the infrastructure for EVs within in the United States. Do you know how much not? Because I do know. For EVs? Mm -hmm. Oh, we're probably at 15%, maybe? Not even so in order to hit the goal that everybody is aiming for, the 2030 goal, um, they are expecting it to go from 1.5 million EVs in 2020 to 10 to 35 million by 2030. Um, it would require 75 to 125 billion dollars of investment in the infrastructure of the power grid. Whoa. So, do you know how much we've spent so far? How much? Around five billion. Whoa. Mm -hmm. So then we have this: the inflation, the IRA that just came out like the other day. You know which one that is? No. Anyway, it was a big um, thing that they just passed in Congress. And one of the things that it has in there is a tax credit for people buying EVs. But the tax credit that they have for buying e and EVs has so many caveats on it. You have to have, um, it's only a max of $7,500 in tax credits. Um, the vehicle has to vehicle <laughs> has to be manufactured or the battery has to be manufactured in the United States. And the cap for the most part is $55,000 for that vehicle. So they're pushing for everybody to go to the EVs, even though they don't have infrastructure. So I started looking and there is Columbia University wrote an article about bi-directional electric vehicles. So there are some brands like the Nissan Leaf who um, they can, when they're charging the vehicle, it can pull from the vehicle as well and back into the electrical grid. And if we switched to those kinds of vehicles, then electric vehicles would account for, they would supply more electrical power than all conventional power plants in the country. Whoa. If, but it, wait, if we got to 30 million or currently with the, with the numbers that are on the road with right the now? Way, that's a good question. I didn't look that one up. Huh. I, with the way that it's going, it has the potential to be more it will be more beneficial to the power grid than anybody who's freaking out that it's going to break down the power grid so here's the other thing that you're that this uh, kind of brings to 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 thought is if we have if we're going to put that kind of strain right and we don't have the infrastructure eventually there's going to be a tipping point where they're going to deter you from buying these cars Mm -hmm. Right. Because they're, you know what I mean? Or it's going to get so congested at the, at the, um, charging stations. Right. You know what I mean? Where it's just going to, it's not even going to make sense. And then are they going to start taxing you if you already have one of these cars? Like, are right. you going to pay more on your electric bill because they're trying to kind of slow the pace. And now you're in, you bought this car. You probably paid, you're probably in a situation like me where you play, paid more for the car than you're than you're comfortable with or used to and then you know but it made sense because of the the efficiency and the savings on the on the combustion side of it but if that switches and now you're paying a premium on electricity be oh dude can you imagine like i'd be super pissed right so, and then like yeah. so when you even look it up if you look start googling evs and the infrastructure it's like depending on you can get anything you want. You're, the world's going to end because of EVs up to it'll be really good for the grid. But the other statistic that I got that was really interesting is that on average, 
drivers park their vehicles 95% of the time. What do you mean? They, on average, we only use our vehicles 5% of the time. They're parked the rest of the time. Like just in general? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. It's crazy to me. That's crazy. I've never, I mean, obviously wait, wait, that wait, makes wait, sense. Wait, wait. When, wait. No, obviously it makes sense when you think about it, but it's not the kind of thing you ever thought but, about. So it, you you, spend it's a all this money on something that you literally just park. No. 95% of the time. How do you not? <laughs> that's why, that's why a, autonomy is so um, interesting to me because now you can put your car to work for you. It can be an Uber generating you cash while you're mm -hmm. at work. You know. Right. But that that statistic, the 95 percent of the time is in the statistic for the. But that makes sense. Like that's powering not... grid. Oh, shocker. Your car is parked most of the time. <laughs> Come on. Now. It's just one of those statistics that you don't you don't look at straight on. And then when you look at it straight on, you're like. Huh. <laughs> Man, that makes that car payment less fun <laughs> no yes and no because they're still like depending on, on you know like it's still awesome to get into into your car if you like it and you know what i mean it's that that whole feeling of just getting into your car and driving and you enjoy it like that that's even if you do it for five percent of, of of its ownership it's we literally pretty awesome buy objects for thousands and tens of thousands of dollars just to park. Well, them. what about your house? Maybe not now so much because there's a lot of remote work, but not in your house all day either. That's way <laughs> that's more expensive true. than a car. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Should be used true. to that one. Yeah, sadly. Um, I I go to work so everybody else can enjoy my, <laughs> right, my house. Right. <laughs> right on. Um, so what about, um, is there anything else that you saw that was interesting to you that you wanted to mention? I mean, I really got interested in the EV thing. A little bit distracted with that. So that's a good one. Those are great topics right now. Um, you know, obviously th those are one of the things that I think for sure it's happening. There's no question that, mm -hmm. that there's, you know, I see it more and more, um, especially now that I've made the switch myself. Like I, I, I d I've become more aware of how many more EVs are out, um, just, just mm -hmm. out and about. Um, but um, that that definitely is something that that is going to have an impact in the industry. There's no question about it. It's just, you know, how fast can they create the infrastructure to, to support that is, is the big question. Right. So, and apparently not very fast. Yeah. I think that it'll take a lot more than just expecting the government to do it. You know? Yeah, no, they're, they're going to have people that's... hop on and commercialization. Yeah, it's got to be that that's got to be a private effort with maybe some assistance mm -hmm. from the government, but that that's going to accelerate right. it tenfold. But anyway, so one of the other things that we said that we were that we would talk about are our blog posts. And so I, I definitely wanted to mention that we'll put our we're, we'll put the blog post in the in the in the show notes. But for this week, we are talking about. um just the vendor relationship, the vendor dealership relationship. Like mm -hmm. I, for one, have seen that I've been on both ends. I've been a vendor and implemented products at dealerships and they always go in, in the negative way of, of, of things. Like you have these vendors that come in, they sell you a product and then they're, you know, they have their teams come yeah. in and set everything up and they're there for a day or two and then goodbye, Mr. Dealer. And we hope that, that, you know, things work out for you. And I just feel like, you know, we got to make it clear that it's not the vendor's relationship or responsibility. I mean, excuse me, it's not the dealer's responsibility to be masters at your product. Of course, they have to learn it and adopt it, but you have to do the handholding. Mm -hmm. And that has to be a long-term 
um, relationship, like that should take a month or so. And you should be out on the floor with them, especially if it's a, if it's like a trading tool or a digital retailing tool, and you should be there holding their hand through that process to make sure that they adopt it into their day to day. Otherwise, they're just going to buy these things because they have the shiny objects, object syndrome sort of a deal, but they'll never use it. And then the conversation gets weird because they're like, hey, your tool doesn't work. And you're like, well, it's because you don't use it. Right. Well, and, and they're the both right. Right. And they're both right. But it's not because of the widget and it's not because the dealer doesn't want to want to do it. They obviously are betting on that product with their wallet. And I'm sure that the vendors are creating something that they feel is going to help that dealer. But it's the it's that bridge between, hey, I purchased your product and now I use your product on a daily basis. And that needs to be a more um, intricate, oh, yeah. more, um, I don't know if cohesive is the right word, but there has to be just more of a- It's got to be a stronger a, relationship between yes. the two. I had sure. the experience- Last month, I had a vendor pitch their product and loved it, loved the idea, loved the concept, loved it all. I was like, game, let's let's sign up for this. And then I went on vacation. And while I was on vacation, they set it up. And I haven't, I literally had to text them today and go, so remember when you pitched that product to me and you said that it was going to do this, 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 and this, it's not doing those things. And because I wasn't here when you started, when you integrated, you need to come back. Yeah, I need you guys back here and I need you to show me how to get it to do these things that you promised it was going to do. Right. Yes. But it should not be my, my, I feel as if, there are so many different ways that I'm pulled in any given day that the vendor should be like, Hey, just checking in. I know you went on vacation. How are you doing? Do I need to come back in? Do I need to, you know, help? Oh yeah, for sure. You succeed with my product as, as my client, do you need me to come back in and make sure you're succeeding? Well, but even if they say no, you should still, you should still, I mean, unless they're like, Hey, don't come to my store. I got it. Okay. Then, then you've done your job, but they'll, you know, because like you're, for example, you're busy, you're doing your day to day, a vendor calls you is like, Hey, and you're busy, man. You're doing your thing. Like, you know, like mm -hmm. it's hard for, for us to kind of pause in, in our day to day and be like, okay, yes. You know, and sit there and have those conversations. Like it just needs to be. You, the vendor needs to take the responsibility. We love taking responsibility when things are going great, right? We show up and we're like, hey, man, you're you're kicking ass. Like, you know, it's, and we like to tell them that it's because of our solution that they're winning. But when it's bad, then it's right. like, oh, it's it's on you, Mr. Dealer. Because and you weren't like, using the right. our platform. You, of course. you didn't log in. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't have a login. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. but we got, we got, that has to improve. That has to be better. It's going to be better for the vendor, obviously, because they're going to make their product stickier and it's not, absolutely going to be a win for the dealer because they are going to be able to, you know, move their, their business along with, with some of these tools that they're, they're, they're paying a lot of money for in some cases. So yeah, anyway, check out, check out our blog post. We're going to put it in the show notes so you can read the whole thing. And, um, we're going to obviously we're going to start our podcast moving forward with with some dialogue on some of those. So hopefully it'll it'll be something for you to to kind of check check out after after yeah. the show. Or if you want us to talk about a topic, um, especially if I get to research it, guys, I love researching. So <laughs> weirdly. <laughs> yeah. Send us go questions, too. You can go to dealertalk.io. <laughs> and um, you can you can submit your questions there, and we'll uh, we'll definitely either write a blog post about it or bring them up uh, during the show. So, anyway, without further ado, let's get our guest here. He's going to be joining us momentarily. There he is. What's Hello. up? Son? How are you, man? I'm good, man. Happy Friday. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah man, awesome. So here at the Dealer Talk Podcast, we like to kick things off with a um, recap. So tell us about you. All right. No, so um, yeah, thanks for thanks again for having me. I'm uh, Sood. I'm one of the co-founders of Spot AI. Uh, Spot AI builds uh, an easy-to-use camera system 
that allows businesses, particularly in the auto space, uh, to make better decisions and improve how they operate based on their video footage. Um, we were founded uh, in 2018 uh, out of uh, our work at Stanford. Uh, and you know, so far over the last few years, we've sold our product to hundreds of customers. We've deployed at thousands of locations uh, and you know, have thousands of users across 17 different verticals in the country. Right on, man. So, um, what uh, you went to Stanford? What What did you study there? Uh, we went to business school there, and also studied engineering at the engineering school. Oh, that's awesome, man! And what yeah. kind of engineering did you study? Uh, the so the, the three co-founders we all met at Stanford. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, one of us was studying, uh, you know, computer science and electrical engineering. Uh, one of us was doing uh, like a degree in um in environmental science and all of us were actually in the business school program together man that's, that's impressive so it's funny i uh, i listened to this podcast called um how i built that mm -hmm. with uh guy ross from ntr yeah, that's a really shout good one. out to that show it's amazing and uh, a lot of these these um startups and stuff that it's a lot of people from stanford man so you know maybe you guys will be on that show one day <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> it's a great show. Right on. So, um, <clears throat> why 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 did you choose the automotive industry, or is this a product that's it's just broad and it fits you know the segment, or would, was it designed specifically for the industry? Uh, it's a pretty broad product, you know, irrespective of which vertical of business you're in, you tend to buy and install a camera system. Uh, right. So we've actually sold it to seventeen different verticals. But we, you know, particularly do a lot of work in the automotive industry because of some of the really useful applications that we have there. So that's definitely a focus area for us in terms of how we go to market and the features that we prefer. So how did you guys stumble into the automotive industry? Did anybody have like a career there and they were like, hey, this would work great? Or you guys just, you just stumbled into it? So, uh, you know, our backgrounds have been uh, primarily in traditional industrial businesses. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I have a deep background in construction and logistics. Uh, one of my co-founders has a background in transportation and logistics. One has a background mm -hmm. in manufacturing. So, uh, these were the, you know, these are the industries that we've always wanted to focus on, right? Because, and part of the reason why we started the company is, uh, we don't see as many Silicon Valley technology companies focusing on these industries. And then there are a lot of real people and real businesses with good business problems to solve. So we saw that as a really interesting opportunity, particularly with automotive. Actually, we found it out because a bunch of customers started coming inbound to us um, and, you know, learning about the product and wanting to buy it and wanting to learn more about it. And we realized that there was a tremendous opportunity. So we sold across car dealerships. We've sold across car washes. We've sold across car repair. So the whole gamut of the automotive industry there. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I what I find interesting, interesting, and um, we we have a blog post about this too that we wrote during our break that talked about how how hard it is to set up um, tech within the automotive space, and I feel that's one of the reasons why there's so many different companies. Um, it's because it's there two two reasons. One. I think that uh, uh, VCs or venture capitalists are, it's hard for them to invest in, a, in an industry that's 17,000 strong, right? It's not the masses. There's only like 17,000 dealerships, I think, um, in the US. And so your product needs to, man, it needs, it needs to really showcase how much it's going to monetize off of that in order for it to justify. I think it was... Uh, Oh, what's this name of this company that just came out and raised like four hundred million dollars or something? The guy used to work for Elon Musk. Um, uh, why can't I remember the name of that company? Uh, come on, I think we referenced them in that article too. But I'll I'll think about it here in a minute. Um, Techion. Techion. Techion Automotive. <laughs> um, dude, the fact that they were able to raise that from the gate, like, I mean, obviously this guy has clout, right? No, no question about it, but. Um, but I also feel like their, their business model, I mean, they're going to charge dealers to death. It's the only way it makes sense, right? Hey, you want to, you want me to pull a list? It's going to be 500 bucks. You want to send an email? It's going to be a thousand dollars. You want to, 
you know, you want a record, it's going to be a hundred bucks. Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust Four Eyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk. It's not because, I mean, there's just not enough, there's not enough juice there. And then the other thing, and I don't know, uh, uh, Sud, if this is more, if you have, uh, can, can talk more about this, if this has been your experience, but dude, there's no open source. Like there's no connectivity between all these companies that exist, like to kind of plug in and build and work mm-hmm. off each other. I mean, did you guys run into anything like that where you were trying to connect with the company and you were like, Hey, uh, you know, I have this idea. Can we, can we like maybe plug in or whatever to, to utilize your services to enhance ours or, or that wasn't something that you guys ran into? Um, so we've seen a couple of things. I'll talk about two things that you said, right? One is the, the, the value of like ease of use of technology. Right. And I think it's that's actually not just true in automotive, but it's true almost everywhere. But technology, like very often, has always been hard to use, hard to set up, right? Particularly in the video surveillance business. Uh, and where we saw an opportunity for ourselves was to create a really easy to use product, which it didn't matter if you had IT expertise to be able to set it up. And if you had IT expertise, it made your job a whole lot easier. And building something that's really easy to install where a customer gets value like right out of the gate is something that's a core product philosophy for us. Uh, I think the sec- another thing that you spoke about, which I found interesting is, you know, companies targeting the auto space and, uh, it, it, you know, is that a, a, a big market? I mean, we think it's a really interesting opportunity because uh, there are a lot of people who have a real problem that we're trying to solve, right? And, and it's exactly that gap that we got interested in, which is a lot of people say, oh, this is actually not uh, as interesting. But from our perspective, it's 17,000 businesses. If that we, if we can solve a real problem for them, it becomes a really interesting opportunity. What's key is the problem is something that we can articulate really clearly, uh, something that people can understand and they can understand the value of the product so that you know we can actually get in touch with them and then they can buy it fast. Uh, so, so from our perspective, uh, and you know, what's interesting is that over the last few years, there's definitely been a trend in Silicon Valley around uh, companies looking at uh, or venture firms looking at companies in building in these spaces and investing in them. Uh, yeah, it, I, I agree. I agree that there's been focus in the space, but it's not for dealers. It's against dealers. Like if you're building companies that are trying to disrupt the model, then you have more venture capitalist um, opportunities than if you're trying to enhance the dealership community. And I think the the big reason for that is because there's just I mean, for a VC to, re- the way that that works is a VC might take, let's just for the sake of this conversation, say they take three projects on and out of those three, one's going to succeed. And those other two, it's going to cost them millions of dollars, right? So mm-hmm. they have to ensure that, that some of their projects are, are, you know, of mass appeal to cover for all these other failures that they're going to kind of uh, take on along the way. And that, and for the, well, and I think- case, Go ahead. For the retail side of the automotive industry, that's really difficult because there's not enough juice there. There's just not in for a venture capitalist to look at it and be like, ah, oh, what's your potential? 17,000 dealers. And what are you going to charge? $2,000 a pop? No, I'm not. No, I'm out. You know what I mean? There's just and that's where, and then you have to start looking at it and you're like, well, what do they have to offer? And it's data. It's- but if you said, like, if you said, um, hey, we're, we have a, something that's going to disrupt the dealership and now we can go directly to the masses and have them buy the cars in this fashion or whatever, that's more appealing because, I mean, just think about it from the private party sector. 45%, I think, is the last statistic that I saw. And I don't remember where I saw that. So, you know, if, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But um, 45% of all transactions are happening peer to peer, Right. What if the, and there's really no place for that to happen in a way that's seamless and easy for a consumer. So if somebody goes after that market, I think that there's going to be more, um, more opportunity or more interest from a, from a VC standpoint than if you, if you're like, Hey, you know, I'm just going to focus on these, on this group of 17,000 folks and hope, hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, try to get my, my, my product in there. I, I think there are definitely big opportunities there where we squarely plays uh, in the realm of 
how do we use technology to help people operate better? Mm -hmm. And how does that become a tool that anybody can use to make better decisions? Mm -hmm. And the trend that we saw in that world was video is actually two thirds of all business data, video footage, uh, but it's entirely unstructured and nobody had actually tapped into that. And a lot of companies, including dealerships, use business intelligence and they actually use the, that one third of data that they have, which is very structured to actually make decisions. And what we saw is an opportunity for uh, companies to actually make use of that video footage uh, in many, many different ways, right? Uh, as a person running a dealership, you can't be everywhere at the same time and you have a large right. employee base, right? You have a large geographic base, many, many locations, which, you know, you can't be all, you can't be everywhere at the same time. And every given location is also pretty large, right? You have the sales side, you have the service side, right? There are many things going on. And then you have all these customers that are coming in and out of your dealerships. So then how do you use video footage to improve your customer's experience? How do you use it to uh, diagnose and respond to claims? How do you use it to help your salespeople sell better? How do you use it to help your service technicians repair better? So we're in the camp of how does technology augment human potential? Uh, and, 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 and like, how do we make it more as useful as possible? Uh, to everybody in these dealerships to actually, uh, you know, go about their day-to-day -day lives and their, their their work in a better way. You know, I like where you're going with that, with the video portion of it, because um, Brad Lee, the owner of, of Lightspeed, um, always talks about how, you know, training is augmented when you stick to, when you stick it into technology, because now you can, you know, people can log in and they can train themselves almost on a daily basis and they can have that repetition. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, that if I'm, if I'm understanding correctly, the premise here, you can do the same thing with video, right? Because you can rewatch this, right. And you can put yourself in the state of mind or you can see it on a daily basis. And then, Hey, I saw this, this was an area of opportunity. It's almost like a self-reflection with video. Like I was in the situation, this is what I said, this is what I did, this is how I can improve on that for, for the next time it happens. And then you can you can kind of play it out, right? That's right. It's like it's almost like game tape, right? And 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 looking at that and learning from it. And so a couple of ways customers use video footage more tangibly, right? In that same way, is you have these cameras all over the shop floor, right? What they're trying to figure out is um, okay, how long was a customer waiting? you know, for a particular service, right? Uh, and can you reduce that time? Uh, what areas of the of the, of the the floor were customers actually spending time in? Were they looking at some like cars versus the others? And then how do you make like it be more relevant for them? Um, so how is, it, is it proactive or reactive? So like, does it, I guess that's, that's the only way I know how to ask that question. Do you look at the video and you go, hey, this customer was really, this customer was really pissed off. So I'm going to go back and look at the information that would be reactive, but it sounds like what you're using is far more proactive instead of, um, so that you can say things like, Hey, the customer looked at, you've got so many customers looking at this Wrangler over here. Therefore we can make these assumptions off of that. It's a combination of that. Right. Some customers use it in a proactive way, right? Can you get an alert for somebody being where they shouldn't, right? Or for a certain number of people being in an area, right? So you now know you have a crowd. Uh, but then it's also reactive where you're going back to the video footage and figuring out, okay, in the last few days, we had these, uh, we had the showroom laid out in this way. Did that work for us? Uh, where mm -hmm. were people hanging out? What were they looking at? How long did salespeople take to talk to people? Like what salespeople were, you know, doing better than others, right? So it's a combination of those things. And it's really all about uh, all the different ways you can make that video data useful for these customers. Uh, and, and different dealerships use it in different ways based on what they need. I'm just fascinated by how you guys came up with this. Like you were all just sitting around and you're like, I've got an idea. Those, <laughs> those cameras over there, like, did it, was it a slow building idea or did it, how did how did you guys come up with it? There, there were a couple of things happening uh, around the time we came up with this idea. One is that we all had deep backgrounds in uh, traditional and industrial businesses. Mm -hmm. So we were pretty familiar with some of the challenges that you face there, right? You can't be aware at the same time. You can't, you always don't have 
the right context to make better decisions, right? Yeah. Uh, then and then on the other side, and this was linked to some of the technology that we were building when we were in uh, we were at Stanford was uh, we were seeing the ability of this new wave of technology called edge computing, uh, which is the ability to uh, crunch and analyze data without using the cloud. So today, the way the traditional model works is that you know you have data that kind of goes sit somewhere in Google Cloud or Amazon or or Microsoft mm -hmm. Azure. Um, video doesn't work that way because video is so intense, right? It's like like a few camera feeds can 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 throw out can spit out a whole lot of video. Mm -hmm. uh, what we saw was the ability to very cost effectively process all that video without transferring it somewhere to the cloud. Uh, and th when those two things came together. We saw that there's an opportunity to solve some of the problems that we ourselves had seen in each of these, in all these different businesses, uh, and then you know be able to solve them in a way that was cost-effective and accessible and easy to use for customers. And that's really how that idea came together. Is uh, I don't know if this is this is a valid question, but is there any AI tied to that? There is. So uh, what what we basically do is that we provide customers with a small like appliance, a box. Uh, it's like a video recorder. We call it an intelligent video recorder. It plugs into the camera system they already have, and if they want cameras, we give them. We give it to them for free. Uh, and what it does is that it actually crunches and stores all the data there. And then we have these GPUs built into these boxes, which allow uh, us to analyze the video and then run different AI models on it. And then we give customers access to that video on a very simple dashboard through a mobile app or through their browser. Uh, and then the AI features built into it basically allow them to use video for all those purposes, right? So for example, can you actually uh, search a video by a person? Can you figure out how many people were in a particular area at a given period of time? Can you figure out if a car or a vehicle was staying idle in a particular location for more than a certain amount of time? Uh, so we have AI built in that allows all these different use cases that customers leverage to make better decisions. So you can search a video based on a person? Yes, can you can. search a video based on like male or female? No, we can't search it based on the specifics of the person, but we can search video based on like, was there a person in it in that frame? Oh, okay. Right? Or was there a vehicle? Because I was about to be like, whoa. <laughs> Turning camera off. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Do you, um, do you have dealers using it now? Oh yeah, we have many dealers using it now. Actually, so we deal with we have some of the largest dealerships in the country using our product, and and you know what you brought up there is actually a, a very interesting question that we get a lot, right? And uh, is like is, it's video surveillance, right? Is it is it Big Brother? Uh, what the the way we see it is, and, and we've seen, seen this with all our customers, video surveillance is a thing. Uh, it's unhealthy when you have asymmetric access. You only have one person who has access to something. You have somebody, you know, sitting in a high tower looking at people and figuring out what they're doing, right? But mm -hmm. video intelligence, which is what we call it, is where everybody has access to it. What we find is that when we actually get in, when we deploy a product into dealerships and almost any other industry, uh, it it the use of the product very quickly spreads. It's no longer just the IT or the security person or the GM who has it, right? But it's the it's the salesperson, it's the person on the shop floor, it's the person like you know who's managing the repair center, it's the op, it's the operations manager, it's the HR person. They all have video and they're collaborating it with it to then make better decisions. So it's no longer like something that only a few people access have access to, but it's something that everybody has access to and uses on a day to day basis. Uh, in which case, it becomes less Big Brother and 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 it is more focused more on just, the value uh, mm -hmm. that you can get from it. So, huh. so tell me how, how, because you talked about sales and, and I just, I can't, my mind just keeps going there because I see tons of value there because training is one of those things that I just feel, I, I have to admit it is getting better. There's, I see a lot more push, but I still, there's still some stores out there, man, that just don't invest in that at all. Like zero. Um, Tell me, a, give me an example of how a store can use this to train their salespeople better. And um, it probably with your system, it would be, it would, it would, they would be able to do it at a significant reduction in cost because those training programs are quite expensive. And, you know, training is one of those things. If you're going to do it, you got to commit and you got to do it always, right? You can't just do it for 30 days and be like, okay, you're all trained, you know, like you got to, it's got to be ongoing. 
Uh, yeah, and I think there are a couple of elements to it, right? One part of it is knowing what to train people on and who to train. Mm. Uh, and, and very often you don't have enough context about that, right? You, you As a GM of a dealership, you can't be everywhere at the same time, right? You're pulled between different things. Very often you're managing multiple locations uh, uh, and you have salespeople talking to customers, right? So how do you know, like, do, can you get the visual context that you need to actually see what happened to know, okay, who do I need to train and what do I need to train them on? And that's probably the starting point for how video footage helps you, right? You have these cameras, we're able to very easily help you to uh, figure out like to find the right video clips, right? Mm -hmm. For example, when was person A talking to a customer, right? What did that look like? How long did it take for us to like for him for him or her to talk to the customer? How long was the customer with them, right? Uh, what are the different like time lengths that different customer interactions have, right? Why do some interactions take longer than others, right? So the video footage and making it very easy to search video allows you to figure out those questions, which then helps you design what is your training program? Who needs to be trained, right? Like, like you said, training programs are expensive and they're time consuming. The least thing you want to do is put your money after the places that actually move the needle, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's the sort of starting point. Right? The second can you, is, I have another question if you go for it. Can you, can you see how many people are on the lot and how many of those people are brought into a showroom, into a building? You can see... Uh, like how many people are in a lot, you can see how many people are in a particular space. You can so you figure can, out. You can be like, listen, this many people you lose because you guys are all standing around chit-chatting. Exactly, right? Uh, are there enough, like, are there enough people on the floor to serve the crowd, right? Does uh, it count that itself or does it just show you the opportunities and you have to like manually be like, okay, there was one, two, three, four, five people in that picture. No, you can actually get counts for like how many people were there at different times of the day, uh, and and know okay, were there like 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 is there a time in the afternoon or in the evening where you suddenly have like ten people showing up, right? And making sure that you can then adjust your your people's schedules to actually service everybody on time without it taking. <clears throat> or how many whatever. people are there when the dealership is closed? Right, right. Or did people come in before <laughs> somebody was before the dealership was actually open, right? Other people moving around on the lot and then getting alerts for stuff like that. Uh, so, so there are all these different, you know, use cases where customers can both proactively and reactively like improve their sales program. On the hmm. that's kind of cool. That, that is really interesting. Is there a reporting that goes with that? Like, hey, um, this is a daily report that comes from the from the videos. Like, how many shows you had, or how many ups, or whatever. Like, is there like actual data that gets spit out, or this is. Because the other thing that I'm thinking about now, it's like it'll be super time consuming too to go in there into a video archive and try to find, you know what I mean? I mean, what, there's 13, 14 working hours in a day? Uh, no, I mean, that's a, a lot of what we do then is being able to spit out that data in very like digestible formats. Right? A big problem with video data and unstructured data like video that we've all, they've always seen is it's very hard to find anything, right? Like very mm -hmm. often, if you were to look through 13 hours of video, you had to see 13 hours of video. But right. how do we make it really quick for you to get those insights from that, right? right? Can you see, you know, a very quick graph, right? There were, this was the time where, like, for example, uh, one thing that service centers use us for, right, at the back of the showroom is how long did it take for a particular vehicle to get repaired? So we can, we have this feature called idle time that allows you to figure out, okay, if there's a vehicle here, how long did it stay there? And then you can filter video by, let's say, which vehicles took more than one hour in the same place, right? And then now you can use that to go to that video clip, like just in a few clicks, and then see why did it take that long, right? Could it have been done in like less time, right? Uh, so, so it's all about minimizing the time it takes to get that insight from you. Yeah, if you can do it in digestible formats, it would be, I can see that being super valuable. I mean, just take your example of waiting. You see the customer there sitting, waiting, and then you cut to the technician moving the car, and then he parked the car there and went, had a smoke break, went and had lunch, and the car is just sitting there for an hour, and then came and back. The customer and, is sitting and, there. and the customer is just waiting for their car, and it's like, dude, what's up, man? So, In fact, one of the use cases that service managers use us for is 
like once you park a customer, once a customer comes in and parks the car in the service bay, how long did it take to actually get to the car? Yeah. Uh, did it, was it waiting there for like one hour? Was it waiting there for like five minutes? Right. And, 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 and why did that happen? Uh, and then service centers are always backed up in terms of you know, the amount of time it takes to even get appointments. And so it shows time. like time management efficiency as well. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you can go back and say, why was a car waiting there uh, for more than 15 minutes when somebody should have come in and picked it up and, you know, parked it in the right service bay? Do you, I mean, listen, I'm not trying to like expose your competition, but do you have competition for this product or is it this just something that's exclusive to you guys? Uh, we're, we're extremely, like a lot of our competition is traditional video surveillance companies uh, that, uh, you know, are built for, we're not built for this purpose. And that's the opportunity that we saw to yeah. be able to uh, create this kind of product. That was the, the gap in the market. Exactly. Wow. You know, I mean, I've, I've preached about video here, obviously in different context, like in the form of social media and creating content and all those things. But, you know, um, having that video footage and being able to digest it and then little sound bites or whatever to um, actually be able to see what's going on in your operation from a DP or from a general manager standpoint. Mm -hmm. And I can see that being super valuable. So I, I, like I keep going back to. And I keep going back to our, the dealership that I work at is closed on Sundays and it's um, kind of a, a locally known fact that people wander around the lot on Sunday to look at vehicles when there's no salespeople around. So we, um, and I'm going to butcher this, we used how so how did it work we used cell phones to count how many people were on the lots on sundays but it was raw inaccurate data it wasn't giving us exactly what we wanted but it gave us a lot of information that we wish we could um utilize more of because yeah like, just... that's it's like here's a number and then that's all we got was just these numbers and it was a pan and, nice and, and, you know, people's mm -hmm. cell phones. Uh, um, I mean, it was creepy. I totally turned off my location on my cell phone. Yeah, their locations were turned on. You can see <laughs> that, but um, it's not accurate because it that follows a customer for 30 days. And so it's not mm -hmm. like they cross the perimeter and it's like, hey, you're you're here. No, it just. But with like a, with a. AI inside of a video, not only could you see how many people were there, you could see which vehicles they were wandering around while they were on the lot. And then you could like move your lot around depending on which vehicles were getting the most traffic. That's exactly correct. And and I think uh, the, the, the other piece that's really important to highlight is privacy. Um, and one of the core tenets of the, the, the this movement of edge computing and edge computing technology is that the video actually always stays on your location. So it's all stored in a box that's sitting in your IT closet uh, and it's not going to a public cloud unless you want it to. So uh, the so data it's is your data. Private. It's, it's your information. That's exactly right. It's private by design, as we call it. Uh, so it entirely belongs to you. In fact, when we need to access your system for a support ticket that you raise, you actively have to give us access to the product. Hmm. So what's the evolution of something like this? I mean, what's the next, the next step, the next level? So there are different areas that we see ourselves innovating in, right? The first one that we worked on was just making sure it was very, very easy to get access to your video from any device, any location, anywhere. And typically you have these multiple different locations, all which have different camera systems. So it's a bit of a mess. So how do we unify that in one place? The second area that we are now really focusing on really deeply is how do we give you more AI and more insights uh, from that video and allow you to leverage that video, right? For like, you know, learn more things from the video. Uh, so, you know, can you detect different kinds of, it, it started off with people and vehicles, but now it's, can you defect, detect different kinds of objects, uh, which might be useful in, in, in different settings? Can you get deeper understanding of uh, what, like contextual understanding of what was of what was going around with those objects? It started off with how long were they there, right? But then there's just so much more that we can do there. 
The third area that we're really focused on is how do, how do you help people collaborate and action these insights? So instead of sending 50 emails back and forth and like sending like files on a Google Drive link or you know very often mm -hmm. in a, on a USB stick, uh, we make that really, really simple for people to collaborate with, right? And then how can you bring a lot of collaboration that you see in social media to business video? Uh, and then how do you connect video to different systems that people might have uh, to then you know help them get more value from it? Can you connect video to a point of to a point of sale system? Can you connect video to a service system? And then allow people to use that video context that they're getting more broadly. And then a deeper area that we see innovation in is how do you let people build their own applications on video? Uh, so how do we, you know, give people really access to easy access to video so they can build their own new software, right? Their own AI, their own like, you know, like workflows on that so that they can get even more value from it. Uh, and, you know, if you think about it, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So, and then this AI technology, even underlying it is getting, the hardware is getting better two to three X year on year. So you can expect over the next few years on all those different vectors to see a whole lot more uh, of innovation. Absolutely. How long have you guys been around? Do you said that, I think, and I've... We were founded in 2018 and we started going to market yes. in 2020. Wow. Very cool. I love it. That so, is very um, cool. <laughs> uh, there, there is one question that I ask everybody that comes on the show. But before I ask you that, I want to give you take five minutes to tell people how they can get in touch with you, where they can go to find uh, more information about this, this potential solution, or just learn more about it. And if you can throw in there, if I was a, if I was a general manager at a store, what would you say to me to get me to do a demo with you guys or look at your product? Sure. So you can learn a whole lot more about us at spot.ai. Um, we have a website which has a bunch of different use cases that we work in, uh, a lot of content, webinars, um, and, 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 you know, product brochures around what the product actually is and how it can benefit you. Uh, and, you know, the way to simply get in touch with us is to actually click one of the free trial or book or demo buttons. Uh, we offer a customer a very, very, very simple way to try out the product for free for, uh, for two weeks. Uh, and then uh, actually get value from it before they decide that they have to purchase. We cover shipping for the hardware both ways. So uh, it's entirely risk-free for you. Uh, and uh, and then once you you know click on one of those buttons and submit your information, uh, we'll have a sales rep getting in touch with you really, really quickly. Uh, that's the best way to get in touch with us. Um, and now, I think- Now, if other... I was a general manager at a store, what would you say to me to, to, to check, to take a look at your product? So what I tell you is we are an easy to use camera system that allows you to use the video footage generated at your business to improve the experience of your customers coming into your dealership, uh, improve how your salespeople sell, uh, improve the efficiency of your service operations and improve the security of your business. Hmm. Right on. Well, there it is, folks. Sood, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing that information. We're definitely going to make sure to, to put everything in the show notes so you guys can check out more about this, this system, learn more about Sood. And there is one question that I ask everybody that comes on the show. And that question is, where do you see the automotive industry headed in the next five years and why? I think a big trend that... Uh, I see in the automotive industry is uh, is electrification, mm -hmm. and uh, it's honestly phenomenal to see the progress that's been made so far. And uh, with a lot of different companies coming out with uh, new EVs and the range of EVs significantly extending, uh, I, I see that as like a new frontier for the for the industry. That's uh, you know both that has better experience for customers and is also more environmentally friendly. Well, there you have it, folks. Sued, thanks again for joining us. Thanks to my co-host, Charity Ann, for another episode here at the Dealer Talk Podcast. We will be back with episode three of season seven next week. And as usual, we'll talk later. We only host the well-respected. The vendor Lexus Nexus. We don't sell digital marketing. What you do? We inspected what our DT vendor management. 
Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust Four Eyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk. Hey, the writer, if you're watching this, make sure you put some music on there. A little bit of Monica in my life. A little bit of Erica by my side. A little bit of real. We got to get going, dude. Okay, okay, okay.